Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 26th of July, 2013. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, We Agnostics, and we are at paragraph two. It begins, We Had to Ask Ourselves. And today's readers are... The 12 Steps, Marge. 12 Traditions, Lisa. And then our readers will be Kim, Rick, Katie, and Hoodie. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 25th, is 4844. 4844. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Marge to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Monica. This is Marge, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Marge. I will now ask Lisa N. to read the Twelve Traditions. Lisa, star one to unmute.
I can do that, Monica. This is Melanie. Thank you, Melanie. Go ahead. Hi, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater here in Oregon. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name not ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Melanie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your commenting to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute, and once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. And we are in the chapter, We Agnostics. We are on page 52, the second paragraph that begins, We Had to Ask Ourselves. And I will ask Kim to begin reading, please. Thanks, Monica. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. 
We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was not the basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. So we are now down to the crux of the problem. You know, most of us come into OA thinking that food and weight is our problem. And these are the true nature of a problem. These bedevilments is what tortures us. And because of that, we pick up the food. So when we read these bedevilments, one of the things I was told to do was to not say, well, this is what happens when I'm drunk. This is what happens when I'm eating. Because if that was the truth, then the solution would be simply put down the food and these bedevilments would go away. But the truth was, these bedevilments were there when I was sober. In fact, they were exemplified when I was sober. I mean, we often hear, you know, just put the food down. Get abstinent, you'll feel better. And that is so true because we're going to feel anger better. We're going to feel depression better. We're going to feel anxiety better. better. These bedevilments are going to become amplified. And that is so uncomfortable. We're going to become restless. We're going to become irritable. We're going to become discontent. And the only solution we know to these bedevilments, the only solution we know that will give us that ease and comfort is to pick up the food. So they're saying, how are we going to change, change our point of view? And I looked up the word change. Change means to make or become different, to transform. And that is the goal. That is the aim. How are we going to change? And we hear four, four different things, personality change, um, psychic change, spiritual experience, spiritual awakening. They are all about transforming our thoughts because it is our thinking that is the crux of the problem. And I'm going to pick one of these bedevilments. We couldn't control our emotional natures. And don't we hear that all the time? We have a threefold disease, spiritual, emotional and physical. And that's not what the big book is telling us. The big book is telling us you have a twofold disease, allergy of the body. We are, we are a distinct entity. We consume certain substances and our body demands that we have more and we become less satisfied. And even more dastardly, we have this obsession of the mind, the mental part of this disease, that regardless of how long we're abstinent, it's going to tell us the best idea. So the way we're going to get rid of these bedevilments is to pick up the food, which makes us trigger that allergy. So if we think that we can control our emotional natures and then we'll stop eating, we can control our emotional natures and then everything will be okay, that's, that's not going to work. Emotions are going to be coming in and out of our life. How do we, how do we have this mental discipline, this mental discipline, and address the thinking, which will in turn allow us to walk through life basically undisturbed and not let our emotions pull us through the day. And the rest of the book is going to be dedicated to how we can have that transformation, how we can have that change. Because that is the true goal. That is the true nature. That is the true solution in a 12-step program. It is not about the food and the weight. It's about changing our point of view having that spiritual experience, that spiritual awakening, that psychic change, that personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from compulsive overeating. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim.
Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Eileen? Katie from Boston. I heard Eileen and Katie from Boston. Eileen, go ahead. Thanks, Monica. It's Eileen, food addict from Bedford, Mass. Um, I, I, oh, God, I can relate to every single, single one of these situations. Um, having trouble with personal relationships, not being able to control my emotions, dealing with depression, not working right now, full of fear of the future, what's going to happen to me when my mother passes on because I live with my mother. The only basic solution of these bedevilments is to turn my life over, to let go of control. Um, I, I, I've tried to manipulate everything in my life. Uh, a relationship I've just started. And this man, he's noticed my, my issue with control right off the bat. So, you know, I just have to let go of all these situations, of looking for a job, of, of my mother having dementia, of being full of fear and worry and doubt of what's going to happen to me. You know, in, in the past few days, I've really been starting to, to center on the fact that recovery doesn't involve, it, it's not just putting down the food. It's picking up a spiritual awareness and, and, and doing the, uh, the rote things of taking quiet time, asking God for his help, pausing when things are tough and trying to center myself on what God wants for me. So um, with, that, with that, I'll pass. However... Um, I can't stay to the end of the meeting. I just wanted to say someone called me from a vision for you yesterday, and I did not get her phone number down so she could call me again. Thanks. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Eileen. Katie, go ahead. Good morning, everyone. My name is Katie, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm so grateful to be on the bedevilment. So what is a bedevilment? A bedevilment causes confusion or doubt to possess. I was possessed. Um, when I got to this part in the reading with my sponsor, I was reading on step two, right? And um, she said to me, this is, who, this is a picture of who you are before you do the work. Absolutely. This is me, an abstinent woman, getting up week after week and saying, I'm abstinent and grateful. Thank you, God. But I can't have friendships. You know, my best, the people who were closest to me could not do the right thing for me because they weren't making me feel better because somehow that was their job. And if it's somebody else's job to make me feel better, well, I'm in big trouble because no human power can do that. I would go to work and I would lash out at people. Um, you know, I got fired from four different jobs because people would talk to me and I didn't realize that you couldn't talk to people in the tone that I talked to them in. Like, oh, you can't talk to people like they're little children, and that was the best that I could do in sobriety. Um, I was in, it was, with my family. I was incredibly jealous of my 44-year-old alcoholic stepbrother who was living at home and drinking every day. What am I jealous of? The attention he's getting. You know, and um, if you couldn't do 
stuff for me that I didn't want you in my life. I, I, so I was unemployable. I, was, I felt completely useless every day. And I was full of fear. And people in program, God bless them, they said, fight the fear. And I'm like, here I am, this like ball of tension. And they're telling me to fight the fear. So what am I going to fight the fear with? I'm going to fight the fear with my hammer. And I'm going to go out. I'm going to decide what I want. And I'm going to hammer everybody in my way to get what I want. Right? And I couldn't just let go of that until I was smashed home that these, these, this way of thinking was not working. Can I apply the same readiness to change that you know, people have been talking about so brilliantly yesterday? All this technology breaks. I always want a new one, right? Like, don't fix it. Just give me a new one. So how can I apply that? Can I apply that to my thinking? You know, and my sponsor and I talked about, okay, are you, are you willing to say, all right, my way of thinking, my way of operating has gotten me into a life where I am paralyzed by fear, I have no ability to relate to other people, I have no God, and I'm completely miserable because I am relying on self. Are you willing? Are you ready? And I was desperate. I was completely desperate because I saw that my way of doing things was completely not working. And today, thank God, you know, if these things or when these things come up, I have my step 10, which is my walking around step. You know, when, when, when fear comes up, I have a way of dealing with it that doesn't involve Katie anymore. It, re- it involves turning to God. You know, so if you're caught, if you're confused and possessed by, you know, selfishness, self-seeking, dishonesty, by fear, you're in the right place. You know, and can you just for today say, all right, I'm not going to run the show. And God willing, I'll do the same. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. And this is Monica, and I would love to jump into here right now. And this paragraph is so very important. It is, uh, the, we're, we're hearing the word bedevilments here, and this, uh, they're describing what the bedevilments are, bedevilments, troubles, torments. And uh, when I read this, I was instructed to change, to replace the I with the we, with um, the we's with I, and to reread this. And I would like to do that right now for you all. I had to ask myself why I shouldn't apply to my human problems the same readiness to change my point of view. I was having trouble with personal relations, even abstinent. I couldn't control my emotional natures even abstinent. I was a prey to misery and depression, even abstinent. I couldn't make a living, even abstinent. I had a feeling of uselessness, even abstinent. I was full of fear, even abstinent. I was unhappy, even abstinent. I couldn't seem to be of real help to other people, even abstinent was not a basic solution of these bedevilments, these troubles, more important than whether I should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. So this paragraph here is is describing a dry drunk, stark raving abstinent person here. Um, and, And bedevilments equals restless, irritable, and discontented. That's what we're seeing here. And definitely here are unmanageability. You know, the second part of, of step one, being unmanageable. Our life is unmanageable. This is it right here. And so I had to see this, you know. 
These are issues here that I had even abstinent because I was not recovered. And recovery will clean up these issues. And how do you do that? Well, the next paragraph is going to tell us how we can do that. And like was said, the rest of the book, we're going to be given instructions on how to uh, solve these unmanageability, these bedevilments. And with that, I will pass. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Uh, this is Rochelle. I comment. I heard Leah, and I heard someone Rochelle. else. Ro- Rochelle. Okay, Rochelle, and then Leah. Oh my goodness! I'm so honored. Uh, this is Rochelle, recovering compulsive eater. Um, I really am delighted to hear the word bedevilment. I I have read the book before and. It never stood out to me like it stands out now. I just look at our times and I say to myself, oh, my goodness, people are so into humanism. They're just so into, you know, on our money we write and God we trust. But who thinks that, you know? It's like we, we live in a time where it's in government we trust. And, and anybody who believes in God, you know, what's wrong with them? You know, so so when I hear words like bedevilment, I say to myself, well, where does that come from? I hear that you know, um, they're from outside thoughts. No, no, no. They're inside thoughts. Every single day we have a choice to make a decision about do we want to do it like this or do we want to do it like that. And we don't realize that that idea of bedevilment, it's right inside of us because we've got to make choices. And that's the good and that's the bad in front of us, and we've got to choose good. So I am just so delighted to be here because each one of us is going against the, the tide. We're saying we do believe in God. We do believe we have choices. We do believe our lives are meaningful. And each one of us who recovers has that choice, and I'm so delighted to be here. So I just wanted to say thank you, and I really love the word bedevilment. I pass. Thank you, Rochelle. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much. Monica, good morning, everybody. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. Uh, the big book is now, you know, pointing out that the 20th century is full of the willingness to change, right? Uh, that statement above the paragraph is not our age characterized by the ease with which we discard old ideas for new, by the complete readiness with which we throw away the theory or gadget which does not work for something new which does. So as they're pointing out, the 20th century is full of that kind of willingness to change, right? You, your toaster breaks, you get a new one, you know, a new uh, eye touch comes out, you stand in line for, you know, a couple of days. I mean, we have, we're full of that kind of willingness to change when there's an improvement on the scene. We're always willing to try something different. We're willing to believe all kinds of things in this century. But are we willing to believe that in ourselves we could be restored to sanity? You know, this is life before God consciousness. I, I relate to all of this. I was no vision for you when I came here. And, and that was even with the food down. Even with the food down, we are restless, irritable, and discontent. Remember the page before? The page before on the top of page 51, it said, leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. Because when the drink was down, when the plug was in the jug, and all the cellophane bags in the bakery boxes were in the garbage, this, is, <laughs> this was the result of the way I was living. 
this was the result. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures, prey to misery and depression, couldn't make a living, had a feeling of useful, uselessness, were full of fear, were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. We talk about the results of recovery. This is the results of disease. This is the results of self-sufficiency. So what the big book is arguing right now, teaching right now, is that, hey, you know what? Your self-sufficiency, Leah, is not working. How about trying something else? Just like you try a new toaster, how about trying God's sufficiency? How about trying that? How about depending, relying, and trusting on God? The big book is inviting the reader to be as open-minded and flexible in regards to matters of the spiritual and matters of the will as we are in regards to the toaster and the iPod and the iPad and the iTouch. You know, why can't we be as willing to change in regards to our spiritual human as our spiritual selves this is a dead end what we've read in this paragraph is we are living in a dead end the idea that self-sufficiency would solve our problems look at look at the results of that look at the results of the unmanageability here there's emotional unmanageability there's social unmanageability here in this paragraph spiritual unmanageability financial unmanageability our families are unmanageable this is a gift that's handed over on a silver platter by King Bidge Foods and our philosophy of self-sufficiency. We cannot rely on ourselves. Don't we see that by the example in this paragraph? We have to be rid of the selfishness. And you know what? We can't, we can't accomplish that task on our own. We can't even reduce self-centeredness much on our own willpower. We need God. We need to rely and trust on a power greater than ourselves. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning. This is Bella. Can I share? Go ahead, Bella. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a compulsive overreader. Thank you very much for having this meeting. Um, For me, uh, it was very empowering the sentence to change the point of view. Yes, to change the point of view regarding feelings. You know, God gave us the feelings, some the positive feelings, the happiness, the excited, and there are some that maybe we call them the negative feelings, the fear, the sadness, the depression. To change the point of view, to look also at those feelings as presence of God and how they can help us in our behavior, not to to be afraid from them, not to be scared, because I know that we run to the food when we are afraid from those feelings, when we, we, we don't know how to deal with those feelings, when we want to put them under the carpet and to say, oh, no, I feel wonderful. And this is why we are running to the food, because the food gives us right away a satisfaction. It's on the spot, and like it's like numbing us our feelings to change our point of view that, yes, we are humans, and we have 
all kind of feelings, and we have to know how to deal with them the proper way without running to the food, because also the food is the cover-up, and it's all about to trust God, to, be, to, to, to know that even those feelings are from God, to change the point of view, how those feelings can help us in, in our behavior, just to change the point of view. And by this, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Bella. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Okay, let's move on to the next paragraph. And Rick, would you please read? When we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. The Wright brothers' almost childish faith that they could build a machine which would fly was the mainspring of their accomplishment. Without that, nothing could have happened. We agnostics and atheists were sticking to the idea that self-sufficiency would solve our problems. When others showed us that God's sufficiency worked with them, we began to feel like those who had insisted the rights would never fly. My name is Rick, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Well, these two paragraphs uh, go hand in hand. And uh, the first one, when we saw others solve their problems, and in the second paragraph, when others showed us that a God's sufficiency worked with them. What they're asking us to do is to take a look at our fellows, look at our, our, the recovered people that are in these rooms, that are on these phone lines, and see how they did it. See what worked for them. See that they weren't doing it by themselves. And when we do that, when we look at the success that we see around us and the people that have recovered as a result of working this program, then we see the futility in fighting the solution. And they use the, the analogy, uh, we feel like those who insisted the rights would never fly. They can't do it. They're not going to be able to get that machine off the ground. That's what we start feeling like when we continue to fight the idea that as a, the result of these steps, we can get in touch with God and we could solve our problems. Not only would we solve our food problem, but we, we would find a solution. We would find a remedy. We would find a way to ease those bedevilments that were listed in the previous paragraph. So they're, they're just trying to show us now that maybe uh, fighting this, maybe uh, the agnostic or the atheist temperament, maybe that's not such a good idea. Why don't you take a look at what's working for other people, and you too will be able to grab a hold of what, what works. So I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thank you, Rick. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? 
This is Paula. May I share? Go ahead, Paula. Thank you, Monica, and thank you for your service. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You know, I'm going to start with the last line. And it says there, we begin to feel like those who insisted the rights would never fly. And that's where I was. Well, this can't happen. It can't happen. But then what happens when you look and there in the sky are not just birds? There's the plane. How do you feel then? Wait a minute. And that was it. Wait. Stop. Look, Paula. It is possible. For there you see it. And that's what it is. I had to see to believe. I wish I could have done it the other way. And perhaps that is the way. Believe to see. But it comes together here. And I see that sticking to the idea that self-sufficiency would solve our problems. It didn't. Didn't I not try hard and long enough? As it says in the chapter, heaven knows, heaven knows we did. But this part, they dropped self. In that word, the idea that self-sufficiency, it wouldn't do what I tried. But what was dropped and what was placed there, oneself was dropped. God's sufficiency. That's what I saw. That's what I saw. As we continued to look, and that was it, to view, our point of view, how we see things. How we see things. Without that, nothing could have happened. And there it was. But may I tell you, with that, something miraculous did happen. Come to the place of saying and living a recovered life and not keeping it, but giving it away. Thank you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? It's Leah. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much. When we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work. Uh, Well, who are these others when we saw saw others solve their problems? Well, those are uh, the ex-problem drinkers, the recovered alcoholics, who stand before these others and say, Uh, You know, we are living proof that a power greater than ourselves has revolutionized our lives. We're standing before you and saying that the consciousness, the mindfulness of the presence of God is the most important fact of our lives. So when when those who are recovered do that uh, and say that, uh, they are like a big show-and-tell operation, and it presents a very powerful reason why... Uh, you, you might want to change your mind. It says on the next paragraph, we agnostics and atheists were sticking to the idea that self-sufficiency would solve our problems. But again, I just want to say, you know, the program of recovery is very results-oriented. The previous paragraph describes the results of a lack of God consciousness, living a life of self-will run riot. That is, the, the results are described in this paragraph that we just studied. 
but the program of recovery is also results-oriented. It says when others showed us that God's sufficiency worked with them, we begin to feel like those who had insisted the rights would never fly. Program of recovery is results-oriented. It's results-oriented. I invite you to turn to page 83. You know, the, the, on page 52, they describe the bedevilments. But these bedevilments that we just studied are all answered by the promises that we get later on in the big book, halfway through step nine. And I'll read on the bottom of page 83. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. So that is a clear contrast like night and day to what we just studied on page 52. That's what the big book achieves through the implementation of these steps and our relationship with God is a transformation a transformation of a life from page 52 being controlled by devils bedevilments means to be controlled as if by devils a lower power if you will to page 83 and 84 when we are governed by a power greater than ourselves and with that i pass thank you thank you leah would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs yes this is phyllis Amy, Katie, and then Phyllis. Amy, go ahead. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Maryland. You know, people said, you know, the, Leah just read the promises, and, I, you know, I've heard that these on page 52 are the promises of, of the disease, the promises of life without a higher power, the promises of self-sufficiency and selfishness. And if we move forward to the chapter, How It Works, on page 62, it says here, above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely rid of self without his aid. Many of us have had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them, even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter, in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agent. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of a new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. My self-sufficiency got me dying of this disease. My selfishness, my self-centeredness, the way of life, the way of life I was living, thinking and acting, reacting to life, got me into the food time and time and time again. And I just remember when you know this whole idea of God and 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 my struggle with it, and you know someone saying to me in a meeting, "Well, if your way is working so well, why are you here? Is your way working?" 
my way, my way was not working. I could not stop put, putting food into my mouth, and yet I constantly struggled. Even though I saw the results in front of me of recovered people, I constantly struggled with this idea of letting go. And it was my own pride and my own arrogance and my upbringing that said all it takes is a little willpower. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do this. It was this constant idea of letting go of self. If we move forward just a few paragraphs in this chapter, it says, uh, but when we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? You know, I can't have two gods. It can't be me and food and then God. You know, it's either going to be one or the other. I'm going to worship one or the other. That's the way it was for me. There was no middle-of-the-road solution. I was going to either continue in eating into oblivion, or I was going to have to pick up the spiritual kit of tools laid at my feet, which were these 12 steps. But I had to first surrender myself. I had to get out of the driver's seat. I had to trust a power greater than myself. I had to make that leap of faith. And we keep talking about technology and what we saw, what we see in front of us nowadays. And they're going so far. I mean, they continually, they're brilliant how the authors write. They're just constantly reinforcing the fact that it seems so simple-minded of us to not at least be willing and open-minded enough to believe. Because our way isn't working. My way wasn't working. Are we going to be so simple to even look up in the sky and say, well, there'll never be flight, even though airplanes are flying across the sky? I mean, I came from the BlackBerry generation. We talk about iPhones and iPads. You know, I came from the BlackBerry generation, and even when all these iPhones came out, I refused to give up my BlackBerry, even though everyone was telling me, oh, this thing is awesome, these iPhones are great, yada, yada, yada. I didn't want to give up my BlackBerry because I knew it. I knew how to work it. And you know what? It was a struggle. It took me forever to text. I was so frustrated, but it was the only thing I knew. And yet other people stood in front of me and they said, get the iPhone. It works better. It's easier. You can get all these apps. You've got all this memory. It's fantastic. But you know what? It wasn't until my BlackBerry broke that I finally got an iPhone. Talk about stubborn. Is that simple-minded or not? But it was only until it broke and I had nowhere else to go and I had to go upgrade. I had to get an upgrade. They don't even make BlackBerries anymore, I don't think. So I had to make a choice, and they keep asking us in this, in this chapter, question after question. We have to ask ourselves, and then we have to make a choice. What is it going to be? Is it going to be God, a higher power, a God consciousness, a creative intelligence, whatever, or is it still going to be me? Am I still going to try to run the show? And constantly, whenever I run the show, I get those promises that we just read of depression, of resentment, of of so much stuff that I don't want, I can't, even, I can't even imagine my life like that anymore, but that's the way it was prior to program and prior to my surrender to this program and to a higher power. Enough out of me. Thanks for, me. Thanks for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Katie, go ahead. Katie, star one to unmute. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you call on me. Okay, I'm uh, Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia, Katie F. Um, our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. 
And I had to let go of the fact that even though I had been in OA for six years, I had worked the steps, I thought I had uh, done all these things. I thought that I, I thought that I had a relationship with God. So, you know, why was I now back at that place of uh, feeling useless, uh, full of fear, unhappy, couldn't seem to be of real help to other people? My life was so small that... <laughs> I had to work 70 hours a week in order to uh, pay my bills because I was working so, um, I was underemployed. And, you know, I thought that I knew God, and yet I couldn't seem to um, stop picking up the food. So it really was um, confusing to me that... uh, you know, what was I supposed to believe in when I thought that I had a relationship with God? And But I had to understand that my ideas did not work. My idea about God and what I thought I was supposed to do did not work. Um, so I had to become like this, like they're saying. You know, we began to feel like those who had insisted the rights would never fly. I had to believe and realized that I was a person who said this program doesn't work. And when I saw that it really was working for other people, I had to let go of all my ideas about what that was going to look like. I had to let go of what I thought next month was going to be and next year. I had to just say, okay, I'll do this today. And that continues to be my... um, life, that God doesn't give me any more light than what I need for what I'm doing right now. And, you know, it's so much better than what I ever imagined that I've stopped fighting it. I don't, uh, you know, when I first put down the food and first started truly working these steps, I just didn't want to go back to where I was. I didn't care. But now I can actually see that it's better. It is always better than what I can imagine in my pea brain. And that'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Phyllis, go ahead. Hi, this is Phyllis. I'm a compulsive overeater down here in Florida. Um, what I wanted to say was when I first came into OA, I walked in the meetings. I got my uh, my book on all the basic food plans, got on the food plan, and off I was going. And I thought, okay, this is it. I would listen to people talk, and they would uh, always mention God. Now, I knew a God. I knew a God of my childhood. I was a religious person, went to religious instructions, and I had a uh, concept on who my God was. But then I started to realize that that God was not the God that I needed uh, that was working in the program. So I had to go through the steps in the big book and read the big book and change my perception on who this God is, who was my higher power. And with doing that, I was able to, um, to get abstinent and put God into my life and to use God the way I was taught to use him in the big book. So that was very important. I had to change, change my whole attitude on the God that I grew up with and to bring from these meetings uh, We lost you, Phyllis. Star one to unmute.
Are you there, Phyllis, star one to unmute? Hello, hello. Okay, we hear you. Oh, okay. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, what I wanted to say was, um, even though I had a God, I was still uh, very miserable. Uh, I wasn't staying abstinent. Uh, I, you know, had problems with my personal relationships. I was full of fear, and it wasn't until I did the big book study and go through the 12 steps that I learned of, I would say, a new perception on God that uh, keeps me going today, and my life always depends on him. Thank you. Thank you, Phyllis. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? It's Edie. Margaret. Leanne. I heard Irene. Hello. I heard Margaret. Uh, We'll go there. Irene and Margaret. Irene, go first, please. Thank you. Good morning, my spiritual fellows. My name is Irene. Gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. So these these bedevilence all comes from my feelings. They come from my thoughts. And I can't trust the way I feel. And this really all comes from my soul because it's a starving soul because I have a soul sickness. And my soul needed to be nourished with the proper nutrients. I needed to disconnect myself from self and to be connected to God, which is the right source of power, that I needed to function on a daily basis. I needed to quiet my pride, a death of self, so I can create a space of quietness and hear God's direction because when God speaks to us, he whispers. There's so much noise in the head that you, I couldn't hear God. I needed to quiet. I needed to create that space of quietness and so I can hear his direction and to be able then to say no to self and yes to God. So we can't change how we feel, but we can change how we think. I can't tell my children, stop crying right now and start laughing I have to distract them from the way they're feeling and help them refocus onto something else. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irini. Margaret, go ahead. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Vision, for you. It's Margaret, recovering South Jersey. When we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but they God idea did. Oh, I'm telling you, this just could bring me to tears because, you know, I've been in the program so many years, so many years, and I was searching, searching, searching to see others who had recovered because I would see them once in a while. I would see one person here and one person there, but as I said, I, for some reason, needed a choir to be able to really leap and and jump and to to be able to really know, you know, a sick mind could not heal a sick mind. How how long did I hear on there? So many things that I think about I heard, heard on these meetings that just really turned me around. Like, uh, you know, even if I get to the end of my life and find out God isn't real, believe in God, I'm going to have a better life. I believe that today. I believe that with my whole heart today, that trusting and believing God, I'll have a better life. And I stopped 
questioning so much. My mind was, I, I was always trying to figure out. I had so many prejudices. I had to really, really cast them aside. But if I didn't see people before me, I could have never, ever been able to cast my own ideas aside. They were too, they were just so embedded in me and I didn't even know they were I didn't even know they were there let alone how embedded they were so you know watching other people you know find the simple reliance you know it just gave me the courage to cast my own ideas aside the best I can a little bit at a time sometimes they come back I have to cast them aside again to get down on my knees and pray for the willingness you know to go through the steps Uh, I've been through the steps many times but it was in 10 11 and 12 that I didn't know how to continue the steps. Um, and that's, that's the thing that I, that I work on every day, casting my own ideas, you know, just as was said, casting my old ideas aside and uh, believing in God. But, the, you know, the God idea worked, but I absolutely had to see other people solving their problems for me to be able to follow. So I'm so grateful. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Margaret. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs before we close? Leanne? Leanne. Go ahead, Leanne. Go ahead, Leanne. Hi. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to say when I first read this, it was just such a, the first paragraph, it it just hit me between the eyes because I could never figure out why I was so unuseful, unhelpful, and all that stuff was so true for me my entire life. Um, And it just rang so true, and it gave me such um, incentive to... um, keep working on the steps. You know, whenever I was wavering, I thought, oh, this fourth step is taking too long. When I remember the bedevilments, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to go back to that. That's for sure. And um, it was just really a great, I mean, it's just so amazing how God-inspired this book is because it just puts it down so plain. And what I'm learning, too, in reading and studying this book is this, um how we addicts were all about take, take, take. We're never about give. And um, that was one of the problems I had with never being, never being able to be helpful. I would try, but my helpfulness was always in the wrong place or it always got in the way or it always messed things up. So get it. I, I'm just, I can't help anybody anyway, so it doesn't even matter. And now this, you know, with the new direction in my life, when I see my purpose here for now, learning how to help other people, is to help other people with compulsive overeating and my part of it too, anorexia, to to learn how to to get, learn how to get better, to learn how to go through the book and find God. That's my main purpose, and from there, I'm learning to be helpful in other ways because it just comes naturally. So um, I don't know. This is a great great paragraph for me to learn about the inner workings of myself when I'm following that lower power. And that's all I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne. And this is Monica. I'm going to jump in here for a second. The Wright brothers' almost childish faith that they could build a machine which would fly was the mainspring of their accomplishment, the mainspring, the driving force. Their almost childish faith. You know, they just had this little belief, this thought. They thought outside the box here something a little different, and they just had this belief that they could do this. They could do this. 
And the big book here is trying to teach us here by showing examples of how people changing their mind, trying something different, being willing to try something different, has brought about great things. And it says our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. You know, how, how is it working for you? You know, well, it certainly wasn't working for me. And, um, you know, all that self-sufficiency, that independence, you know, depending upon myself alone, you know, did not work for Monica. And they're saying, well, Monica, how about trying to think outside the box here? How about trying something that's greater than you? You don't have to understand it. You don't have to fully comprehend any of it. We're telling you that this has worked for us. There is a higher power out there that's not you that can help you with this. Our experience shows this. Come along. We'll light the path for you and let you work it and walk it and help you. And then you can go through that door and see what's on the other side. And it's recovery. And it's God, it's God, it's God. And with that, I will pass. And I will like to thank everyone this morning who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Katie G., could you read a vision for you, please? I can. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.